Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are a married couple with three children, my friends Nate and Elena. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Um, I wish you all could see them on the screen. They're just this wonderful couple in their 40s, um, full of life and goodness, and they're going to talk about their journey with a transgender son, but it'll be broader than that. They're both converts to the church, so they'll talk about um, why they joined the church. Um, they'll talk about their life in the church. They'll talk about how things have gotten really complicated for them as Latter-day Saints with children, um, a transgender son, and just children that have a worldview that conflicts with some church teachings, especially for full inclusion for LGBTQ people and women. And how that has been something that Nate and Elena processed. So they'll talk about that and just, you know, that's complex. And if you, um, and this is just this wonderful couple sharing their story. Is that okay for an introduction? Perfect. Very good. So I'll just turn it over to you two to kind of get us started where you want to start. Okay, well, I'll start. Um, I am originally from Santiago, Chile, and um, I became a member of the church when I was 14. Uh, I I lived with my grandmother, who was Catholic, and she would bring me to church every Sunday, and I started um, taking lessons to have my uh, first communion, which I did, and then I uh, decided to do confirmation, which were many years uh, studying in the church. And but um, there were many questions that I did not receive answers for while I was studying. One of them being, uh, what's going to happen to me after this life? Uh, I had no answers um, that made me feel peace, that made me feel like I really want to be there. Uh, I felt like, um, what's going to happen if I can see my family again? So I had all these questions and. I remember praying to God uh, to help me find a place where I could find these uh, answers. And I think that after I prayed uh, for about a month waiting, um, I met this friend who was a a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he invited me to a youth activity. And uh, once I I attended, I I felt the spirit. I felt that this is the place where God wants me to be. And once I met the missionaries, that confirmed that that's where I, God wanted me to be when they answered all the questions that I had uh, about uh, the afterlife, about family, that families could be together forever, about the temple, about uh, what happens with the spirits after this life. So that was an amazing uh, testimony of that, that that was a true church. Uh, that's where God wanted me to be. So. That was a really um, amazing experience for me to be a missionary and to become a member of the church. That's great. We're glad you're here. Great. Yeah, just keep telling your story. I don't know if Nate wants to tell his conversion story or whoever you want to go with this. Sure. Yeah, I can. we can circle back to you in a minute. Sure. Um, yeah, so I uh, was raised in uh, Cleveland Heights, Ohio and um, was raised a Unitarian Universalist, which um, is kind of an ecumenical, um, all-inclusive religion of all religions and philosophies kind of of blended into one. And and, um, I uh, had a a wonderful childhood, um, but it uh, 
the spirituality that I developed didn't wasn't structured enough for me. I'll put it that way. And so I was always kind of seeking for more and kind of jumping into different philosophies and trying out um, different um, ways of being and nothing truly fit until um, I was actually a, a junior in college and studying for an exam and heard uh, one of those old Book of Mormon ads wow. um, that the, the church used to produce, or maybe still does, I don't know, um, before the advent of the internet. And um, was uh, just heard, you know, call for a free Book of Mormon. Um, my roommate was watching TV in the other room. And really, it was it was this moment of, of, of synchronicity, you know, and and the spirit just touched me really hard. Like, wow, what do the Mormon believe? What do the Mormons believe? And I, I grew up with a close family friend um, who I knew was Mormon and just was a wonderful man that we loved as a family so much um, that uh, I was like, well, if, 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 he's a, if he's a Mormon, you know, the Mormons can't be all that bad. Let's, let's find out what the Mormons believe. And so the, the missionaries came by and knocked on my door and I'd forgotten that I'd even ordered a book of Mormon because <laughs> fans were over by that time. And I was just, you know, done, uh, forgotten that experience. And so I invited them in and, um, their story of this young man seeking for truth really resonated for me. Um, and I really identified with Joseph Smith Jr. And, um, and started reading the book of Mormon and just absorbing every word of it. I just couldn't put it down. And, um, really, really found a spiritual home in, in Stamford, Connecticut, where um, there was a singles ward there that I was baptized into and met the, all these young people that were living these clean lives. And I, you know, I just had never met people that were young, that were into sobriety and, and into chaste living. And it's just like blown away. Who are these people? You know, <laughs> my friends and all, we just like to party, you know, um, <laughs> So it was a real revelation for me um, that you can have this clean lifestyle and a real rock solid um, religious experience. And so I just I just jumped in head first. And um, maybe we can go back to to you now, Elena. We can talk about our missions. Sure. And um, well, after I decided to become a member of the church, um, my grandmother was not happy about it. Of course, uh, she wanted me to continue being Catholic because that's how I was baptized. And, uh, but I kept attending the church and she saw that I had good friends, that I wasn't planning to just run away with my boyfriend and get pregnant. <laughs> that's, that's what all she cared about. <laughs> and uh, so she, uh, she was okay with it. And she even attended once or twice for some activities, but she never, um, was interested in, in becoming a member uh, or not in my family. In fact, nobody else in my family uh, is a member of the church, even though I tried uh, to share with them. And um, eventually, you know, after attending Young Women, I decided to go on a mission. And wow. I went, yeah, I went to the South, uh, Osorno mission. And um, it was really hard because I had not support. I, I didn't have support wow. for my family. Uh, my my mother my mom was um, was okay. She was not happy that I was going to be away for a, for a year and a half, and she didn't understand what I was doing. So it was it was hard uh, not to have uh, her support. She didn't write to me very often, which it was really hard. And uh, just the mission itself, um, just being in the south, 
it's really cold and rainy down there. And uh, just being out in the streets, it was a really hard um, mission for me and getting along with companions. I'm the only child in, in my family. Wow. So I really didn't have experiences of uh, siblings or didn't know really how to get along with uh, with people my age, though I think I did pretty well with my companions. I, I had really, really good friends. Uh, but um, in spite of all these difficulties, uh, I think that uh, the mission was an amazing experience that taught me uh, how to serve, uh, taught me more about Christ, about God, and to have a testimony of, of them. And also, uh, I gained a testimony of the Book of Mormon and of Joseph Smith, because I felt that my testimony before that was not as strong enough. But as I served a mission, I felt that I felt like it, it was true. Thanks for your service, Elena. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Tell our listeners, just in case they didn't pick that up, where you served. The name of the in mission. Santiago, uh, I'm sorry, in the south of Chile. It was, uh, it's called Osorno, Chile. Okay. And is that one of the most furthest parts of Chile uh-huh. south? So that just gets colder and colder, of course, in that hemisphere, the further south you go. Yes. Chile it's Chile always... goes way down there, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's the, long, the longest country in the world. And uh, down in the south, it's always cold, even in the summers. So, wow. And I had two winters, too. So wow. it was even more sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just keep, I don't know if, Nate, if you want to talk about your mission. Uh, sure. Um, so I, after I was baptized, within a year, I was uh, called to my missions. Wow. Uh, amazing experience. I went to Mexico City East, and um, it was incredible. I just, I, I loved it to death. Um, granted, of course, like Elena said, it was extremely challenging, you know, to always have to be with your missionary companion and, you know, you get on each other's nerves, you know, <laughs> in such <laughs> proximity. Um, but it was just incredible. The people were amazing. Um, still lifelong friends that I have, um, having met in, in the mission, both as companions and, um, people we served. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was, you know, it's, just living the gospel to me and, and doing nothing. I mean, but sharing it, you know, just on the buses, you know, like walking down the street, stopping every single person and knocking on every single door. And we experienced incredible success. Um, The people were just, it was, you know, Latin America was on fire. I don't know how how it is today, but back in the, you know, uh, I was there from uh, 98 to 2000. Um, it was on fire and, you know, we were just, you know, bringing to pass all the prophecies of the Book of Mormon and, you know, it was just magical. It's really cool. Were you two serving at the same time, even though you didn't know each other? Excuse me, I think 97. So a little bit, a little overlap. Yeah, just a tiny bit. Uh, you can just tell how much you love your missions. You know, this is audio only. I wish everybody could see your faces as you talk about your missions and your conversion <laughs> and just the interaction between you. And um, there's a lot of differences in your story, but there's so many similarities being converts and being drawn to our doctrine and and the courage to then go on a mission um, without the family support, without, you know, 15 years of primary and Sunday school and to sort of go and do that. It's really courageous. And I, you know, grew up in a family where I've been prepared to serve a mission kind of mentally since I can, you know, the beginning of time. So I always have, 
great love and respect for people that serve missions, joining our church as converts. And often, you know, you reach people that no one else can reach because you can think, talk authentically to joining the church and the, and the contrast between your other faith traditions and the good there and the added good um, through our restored doctrine that you brought to the people in your own, that came into your own lives and that you shared with people in Chile and in Mexico City. Keep telling your story. I'd love, our listeners are obviously going to be curious how you two met, because you're right now not in the same part of the world at all. Um, <laughs> and there's, you know, there's no logical right now connection, um, but somehow this is going to happen. Yeah, the only opposite places in, in the world. Um, so yeah, after I served my mission, um, well, I have a family in New York City. So I always uh, saw their pictures and they would send us letters. So I always had interest and felt like, oh, I really would love to go to the United States someday. And so that was in the back of my mind. And uh, so then uh, one of my best friends um, and I had a good friend who was living in Utah back then. Uh, so right after my mission, I just I uh, got a job and I started saving money. And uh, both my friend and I decided to get our visas, and we went to Utah. And um, we got a, student's visa, a student visas, and so we started studying uh, uh, in an English uh, uh, ESL schools. And uh, then I, um, I applied to study at BYU, and I was accepted. Wow, so that was, awesome. Yeah, that was great. I, I, was so, I felt so blessed. And... Um, they gave me a whole year of a scholarship, which to me, it was an amazing thing uh, because uh, I, back then I, I only had a part-time job. So I, it was really helpful to be able to, to have a one year to be able to, to save, to keep paying for my, for my studies. And um, so to me, um, uh, coming from Chile to Utah was an enormous uh, culture shock, not just uh, being a different country, but also being in Utah, <laughs> which is uh, the church, the culture of the church is amazing. I mean, I, I loved it. I loved uh, going to the ward and see that there were so many people who had even ancestors who were uh, uh, direct uh, ancestors from Brigham Young and Joseph Smith. It was just an amazing, amazing to, to meet all these people. And so strong in the church, I, I just loved it. And then I started uh, studying at BYU, and I was there for uh, a year and a half. And uh, one of my roommates uh, said, you know, there's a dance going on uh, in one of the wards, and do you want to come? And I was not really interested in going because I then, I actually had a really bad experience as dating uh, in Utah because uh, it's very different. The culture was so different. So, um, I was, I was dating guys who were, um, longtime members of the church when born in the church. And I felt that, uh, most of them were just looking for their wives. I mean, that, that was it. I mean, and they knew in the first date, if I was going to be their wives or not, their wife or not. So I just decided, you know, I don't want to date anymore. I just, to me, dating was like, okay, well, we're gonna just gonna go out for a couple of months and see how things go. It was really very low key. But when I felt that there was this pressure to be the perfect Mormon, the perfect 
uh, women <laughs> to become a wife, I just felt, you know, just forget it. And I decided just to, to just focus on my studies. And so I was not interested in going to this dance because I was like, I don't want to meet any of these guys who are just trying to find a wife. I'm, I'm not into that <laughs> anymore. Uh, but my companion, my my uh, roommate, she just insisted. She was just, you have, to, you have to come. You don't have to worry about meeting anybody. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just go and just have fun. So um, uh, we got there and um, uh, my friend, one of my best friends, she was also my visiting teacher back then. Uh, I see her waving at somebody and um and I and I looked and I see this like really tall, handsome, blonde guy. And I asked her and I said, "Who who is that?" And she said, "Oh, that's my brother." <laughs> and I said, "Let's go and introduce me to, to him." Even though I was not interested in <laughs> meeting anybody, but he really caught my attention. <laughs> so uh, we, my my friend, and I went and she introduced me to him. And uh, he was with Nate. They were both. Uh, on a double date that night. And um, I really, I, after I got to, to know his, uh, her, um, her brother, I just didn't feel like I was interested anymore. But I started talking to Nate and we discovered that we had so many things in common. He was the only member of the church in his family. He spoke Spanish really well. And back then, I was recently starting with my study, so I was still not very sure about the language much. So it was great that he was speaking Spanish to me. <laughs> and uh, so we just started talking, and we were, I don't know, our conversation was like for a couple hours, I think. And we danced a little bit, but it was mostly talking about all the things that we had in common. And uh, he got served a mission, I had served a mission, I was convert. So there were so many things that. Uh, I really liked uh, about him. You want to continue with the story? <laughs> yeah, great. I just love this story. Yeah, it was it was it was magical, and um, you know, uh, thankfully, uh, she she wasn't too bamboozled by my my <laughs> handsome companion, <laughs> and I was able to win her over with uh, you know my 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 talk. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so to, to um, kind of circle back on after my mission, um, bring you up to where I got uh, went to BYU. I had, I had already graduated college by the time I went on my mission and had majored in as a dual major in education and psychology. I knew I wanted to go into um, those fields, but wasn't sure how. Um, and I uh, actually went in uh, to become a special education aide. I worked with um, a child with ADHD and a child with autism and a child with Down syndrome. And I was in the classroom with these three children, um, helping them to be included into their, their mainstream classrooms. And so I was a special education aide and decided, and I worked with school psychologists um, during that, that time. And so I decided I wanted to um, become a school psychologist. And so I applied uh, to the BYU program and got in. And um, thanks in part to my wonderful mission president, I'm sure, uh, President John Pingree, um, wrote wow. me. I was actually, I was actually came home too late um, from my mission to apply, and so he got me a special exception. Um, and uh, I'm, I, I'm pretty convinced got my application to rise towards the top because I was his assistant in wow. the mission. 
and we became close close uh, friends. I'm still very close with his wife Carmen to this day. Um, and uh, anyways, um, BYU was was a wonderful experience. Uh, be, you know, getting my 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 masters, but most of all, meeting Elena. Elena has been the, by far the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. So, um, you know, it, it made moving out to Utah uh, so worth it. That's just a great love story, and I love it. And um, John Pingree is somebody I worked with in the Salt Lake Temple with. We were temple workers together. Wow. He's older than me and has passed away, as you know. Yeah, I know. Just in the last yeah. six months or so, I think. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I was able actually to speak with John um, in his last days when he was by family. Um, oh, I'm glad. Had just a, a really powerful conversation with, with President Pingree. What Surely. a great family. I've, they've done Got so much glory. for autism in our community and so many ways they've yes. served. And, and yeah, Carmen's son, done a wonderful thing for yeah. advocating for children with autism. Yeah, so that's a wonderful family. And I love the way that the Pinkery family has blessed you and that you're with your mission president, had some final time with yeah, him. It's very special to me. Um, talk about, I want to kind of get to where you are now. Um, I, it sounds like once you got married, there was this period of time in the church where everything just worked great. And I'm assuming yeah. you had callings and it was just clicking on all cylinders. And maybe that was a couple decades you could kind of, and then, you know, things have changed. And then, and now you're in this space where you're, you know, you're recognizing just challenges within the church. You have a transgender son. And it's sort of like you open the hood and seen there's some real challenges here. At the same time, there's beautiful restored doctrine and great beauty here, and it's just complex. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk, where you just want to go to, yeah. if you want to talk about where you are now or kind of st talk about yeah, let's, those let's, great let's, years. Let's give a little bit more background. So Good. like you said, Richard, um, smooth sailing, loving, you know, everything, callings, you know, service, um, three wonderful children. Um, and the first time our boat got rocked was um, for Prop 8. And for your listeners who might not know what I'm talking about, Proposition 8 was um, a Californian um, ballot measure, I guess, um, that uh, was calling for uh, marriage between uh, homosexual couples to be illegal. Um, and the church heavily backed it. And um, for me, it was a very disorienting process um, because I, up until then, I, I really didn't know anything about the church's position on gay marriage and didn't consider it an issue. Um, and on, on the contrary, actually, was really um, challenged in my testimony um, because it, the church backed it to such a degree that it was spoken from the pulpit. Um, that we needed to dedicate, you know, all of our time and resources and, you know, money <laughs> uh, to back this proposition. And um, I felt very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable about it. And, um, and it was a crisis for me um, because here, um, I think it was Thomas S. Monson or maybe it was Gordon B. Hinckley. I, I, I can't quite remember. I think President Monson was the prophet. Okay, was President prophet. Monson. Okay. Yeah, during prophet. Um, you know, here a prophet was telling us this is something that, you know, was very important. We never heard before any sort of, you know, political um, type uh, 
influence from from our local leaders and saying, you know, this was a letter from the, the prophet um, and the apostles. And I really, it really rocked my world. Um, and I remember having conversations with Elena and and our bishop and, you know, my, my friends about it and feeling such an incredible pressure um, that I needed to get in line with the prophet. You know, I needed to, you know, follow the prophet and um, and get and get on board, um, or else I I felt like I was not in full um, support, uh, and, and and you know that I was violating my um, baptismal covenant, um, violating what I felt. I mean, Jesus Christ, I believes uh, I believe um, is at the head of the church, and how do I how do I not support this if if Jesus Christ is prompting my prophet to um, to get me to back this up. So I prayed and prayed and prayed until until I got a testimony. And now in 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 retrospect, I don't want to do too much of you know analyzing it from where I am now, but I realized that I, you know, I I prayed myself into believing it. Um, because you know, to be in disharmony with any aspect of the church for me was just unacceptable. Um, and so that that was a really hard experience. And thanks for just being honest with that. I think there's a lot of members that feel the same way. And to me personally, I never had any issues with growing up. I had friends who were gay. I never uh, felt that they, they were uh, doing bad things so that they were sinning. Uh, but once I became a member of the church, I changed my my view and my um yeah my perspective on on gay people and and I became completely indoctrinated that um that being gay and uh, acting upon those feelings was uh was a sin uh because for the longest time that's what I believed so I was uh I was fine with that uh with prop a I was like okay well if this is what the prophet and the leaders of the church are asking us to do well this is what I'm going to do though I was not openly um, expressing my opinion of how I felt because I still had friends who were gay. I did not, um, I did really did not say anything, but I, in my heart, I was with the prophet. I was supporting um, what they were asking us to do. And for our listeners, I just on timing, Prop 8 is, and Nate and Elena probably know this as well as anybody, it was 2008. Um, I don't know what time of year the vote was taken. Um, I was just looking at President Monson's um, time. He was called to be the prophet on February of 2008. So I think he was a new prophet. And you're right, President Hinckley preceded him. And so I think that, you know, President you know, Monson was the prophet that got behind Prop 8 and sort of, you know, was the one that championed that through the church. So I just want um, just our listeners make sure I didn't miscommunicate. I don't remember when the vote was. Probably doesn't really matter. I assume it was towards the end of the year because most votes are towards the end of the year. So, but this isn't really a political podcast. So some of you know the exact date of the vote. Um, yeah, I mean, I just like you being honest with how you felt. And there's a real feeling of equality that a lot of Latter-day Saints feel for those that, you know, a feeling that they want the same things for them that we have for us. Um, and just recognize that that was a disconnect for some. 
And I remember asking my dad about Prop 8, and, you know, he said, and my dad's pretty wise, and he's 90 now and still really wise, and he said, you know, I'm not sure all the leaders completely were unified on that. Um, He, you know, I think it's, and I think after Prop 8 happened, we probably looked at that and thought, well, that probably did some real damage um, for us in some ways. I'm a marketing guy, so I thought, well, that really didn't help the church. To me, I didn't feel like Prop 8 helped us grow and helped our image because it divided us in a way that I didn't feel good about. I love standing up for a doctrine and standing up for truth, but in that situation, it felt like it divided us and didn't bring us together as the same human family. And really good members of our church struggled with that, not because they weren't faithful or didn't pray or weren't committed. They just, it was a conflict for them. So thanks for being honest with that. And so that's roughly 12 years ago when kind of the first thing happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And living in Utah, I was aware of Prop 8, but I wasn't engaged with it like you were and being asked to do the things you were being you know, asked to do, and I'm more aware of that now. Um, but go ahead and just keep sharing your story. Yeah. Um, so um, the, then our children started to grow, and um, uh, I was the leader of the um, uh, with the um, activity day girls. So my kids were already eight or nine, and they were attending with me. And I remember Glenn, um, he would... Uh, always ask questions as mom, why, why do we always have to do crafty things? Why is it all girly things? Why are the boys having more fun activities? Like I want to go fishing. I want to go, um, you know, I want to do camping with, with dad. And, you know, he, he was always interested in doing things like, like the boys. So those, when we look back, those are with the things that, um, we, thing were the first signs and you know like playing with toy with uh, dolls I uh, hated princesses I always wonder why you just hate princesses so much <laughs> because I loved them when I was a kid but anyways I, I was like well that, that's that's mm-hmm. fine didn't right? like the color pink oh, didn't like to wear dresses hated dresses <laughs> I mean if you look at pictures of wearing dresses it's like it's so uncomfortable you would not like it but anyway those were the first things and then um uh, about when they were 10 or 11, um, uh, Glenn started saying, um, you know, I don't understand why uh, why only men have the priesthood in the church. And Nate and I looked at each other. It was like, what kind of question is this? I was like, I never questioned. I actually never, as a, as a woman, really never cared about having the priesthood personally. Not that I didn't appreciate what it did. It's just, to me, it was like one more thing to do. <laughs> one, one more responsibility to have. So I was happy with like, oh, I'm, I'm okay with not having the priesthood. <laughs> just my husband can have it. So to me, like asking those questions, I was like, why do you want the priesthood? <laughs> well, I just th- think that it's not fair that only men have it. So that was something else. And then um, what else? Well, I think... Then what happened was um, about four months ago, maybe five months, gosh, time is passing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it really just came to a head where um, he came to us and um, said, you know, I've got something really important to tell you. Um, It was very nervous, 
very emotional, um, had given it a great deal of thought um, and uh, deliberation and said, I am, and at first, this is what he said, um, he said, I am asexual. And um, Lillian and I said, okay, um, tell us what that means. Um, and he said, uh, well, that means that I don't have any sexual attraction to anybody, male or female. Thing like, and you know, in the back of my head is a doubt. Like, cool, <laughs> you're, you're 13 years old, you know, keep it going as long as you can, <laughs> you know. Um, but you know, we, you know, I, I did, of course, say that, and he said, like, Okay, well, tell me more, you know, what, what, um, how, do, how have you come to, to realize this? And, um, so as he went into it, um, it, it kind of became this, um, more of a gender issue actually, because he's like, I don't feel sexual attraction, but I feel that I am what's called gender fluid. Okay. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> Cause you know, I honestly, you know, didn't really know, um, what gender fluid was. And I wanted to hear from him how he interpreted that. And, uh, said, well, mom, dad, um, I, I, some days I feel like a boy and some days I feel more like a girl, but I'm not really at either end of, uh, you know, being fully boy or fully girl. And it changes day to day. Um, and so I want you to call me, uh, when you refer to me in the third person, I want you to refer to me as them. And, um, and okay, <laughs> deep breath. <laughs> deep <laughs> breath. As a parent. You know, we're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what does this mean? You know, like, um, wow. Like, but, you know, but not saying anything, you know, that would express any sort of, you know, um, judgment or, um, help, you know, making him feel uncomfortable with who he, who he is and just being supportive. Like, okay, you know, we're going to help you through this. I and mean, it was very scary, um, for him, uh, to, to share this, you know, uh, very, very emotional um, experience to, to, to disclose this to us. And, and, and we just tried to be as calm as possible and loving and just unconditional um, respect and acceptance um, and just listening. All we could do was, wow. was listen and reflect back to him just our, our unconditional love for him. Wow, great job. Yeah, to me, in the beginning, it was really, really hard. I felt like, what's happening? Am I losing my daughter? Uh, what's happening to my daughter? I, I remember crying many times because I would look at pictures of, of him, you know, like so cute. And I felt like I don't have a daughter anymore. But, and, and the other thing that really I had a hard time with, it was the pronouns. Um, he really wanted me to use they, and oh boy, it was like for me as a um, le English learning learning speaker, uh, it was really hard because I had learned you know the grammar the right way. <laughs> so using the grammar incorrectly to me it was like no that that's a no no. But <laughs> <laughs> so I I said to him. You know, I'm sorry. I, I'm calling you G. I'm trying to use your name, the, the name that you want now. Please don't ask me to use the day. It just seems so strange to me. He got really, really upset. And um, he, went, he seemed like he was really sad and depressed. And, and, I, and I thought about it so much. And I was like, okay, I don't want my child to be, to be sad. 
if I have to do it, if I had to, if I have to make a, an enormous effort to be grammatically incorrect, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and I'm going to start calling, calling them they. And so I, we made a lot of mistakes, of course. And finally, we, uh, I think we got it. We, we said, we sort of saying they. Yeah. And um, it was very, very hard. Yeah. Um, and the name change, you know, um, just to, to it, it really was like a process of grief, you know, like sure. we really felt like our, our daughter had died. And right. now we have a son and and, it, and right now we can celebrate with the birth of a son. And yes. we really like, you know, love it that we have now have a boy, but to, to rewind four or five months ago, it was crushing. And although we never showed that to him, you know, no. we would just, you know, really just pray. <laughs> I've never prayed so hard in my life um, to, to show love and, um, and to respect his new name and respect the pronouns. Um, and thankfully, actually, uh, the next transition uh, from that was to full male. And so it didn't take him long, maybe a month of being they and uh, gender fluid before he said, you know what, guys, actually, now I'm not feeling at all feminine. And, and you know, what's, what's interesting was he later told us, you know, months later, that he, um, it wasn't such an organic process of him unfolding um, or, or developing from gender fluid into trans, uh, transgender male, um, he was actually um, easing us into it because he knew um, that it was going to be so hard. And I think he had um, he had connected with peers um, who were uh, in the LGBTQ community um, that had been further down the long along the lines of transitioning. Um, and had told him, you know what, go easy on your folks, <laughs> ease them into it. So he had this plan and it, and it worked actually really well because mm -hmm. by the time he said, you know what, I'm not gender fluid, I'm, I'm a boy. Um, and I want you to call me he, we were actually grateful for that because it was so confusing um, with the being fluid. Like what, how is he feeling today? And um, he, in fact, he, he bought these pronoun pins and he would put a pin. Oh, and remember, remember the pronoun board. He yeah. this was like really important for him to to get the pronouns and the everything right. So he he bought these pins, and if he was wearing a a he them, that meant he was feeling more masculine. And if he put on a different pin a different day, he would say that that say she them. Then we would know that she she's feeling he's feeling more feminine. Um, and then he'd put a, he had a little whiteboard that he would update his pronouns and so that was like really challenging for us like daily to kind of like okay what where's it where's he at you know on the continuum mm -hmm. um so by the time he said i'm male we were kind of like oh phew <laughs> you know like now we can go to from them to he and and know just you know that's how he feels um every day and every and, and it's been months and months now where he, every day you know there's there's no equivocation um mm -hmm. whatsoever uh, he's he's fully committed as as a transgender male. I in the beginning I felt like uh, I was hoping that it was just going to be a phase because uh, he had a lot of friends at school and he would participate with their gay uh, community in the, at school. And uh, I just felt like maybe it's just something that he just wants to fit. Maybe he just wants to be like his friends. So I was hoping it was a phase. But now after all this time, 
uh, we know it is not. We, we are sure that he is a he. This is a really beautiful segment of parenting. This to me is parenting. This is what we plan our whole lives for as parents is to be there in the, in the most difficult and the beautiful, the most beautiful moments of our kids' lives. And I'm just struck that this wonderful son, this transgender son of yours, has you two as his parents. And I love your honesty that there's grief here. I think other parents of transgender kids needs to hear that grief you feel because you lost a daughter. And your son didn't cause that. It's just the reality of your situation. And I think we have to give parents a, a chance to mourn that. Yeah, and accept that it's the stages of grief, and then I think if we're able to do that, it's easier than to accept. And you even use some wonderful words, Nate, about just in a positive term. We have a new son that's just joined our family. Um, what a wonderful way! If your transgender son listens to this podcast, to hear that as you describe him joining your family, and I'm just thinking of him, and and how you know this is just a beautiful love story a beautiful parent story in the, in the most complex, you know, situation that I know of. I'm struck. I read Mar I think of Moroni chapter seven, verse 45, when you were talking, cause you're living this in your own family situation. It's just charity. It's it, you're owning our doctrine is what I think you're doing. And charity suffereth long and is kind. That's what you're doing. Envieth not is not puffed up. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Um, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity is the pure love of Christ, and whoever is found of it at the last days is well with him. I paraphrase that one. Yeah. So I just think you're owning our doctrine the way, and some people, I'm going to read something that you're familiar with, but I, it's in my book, and it's from the parent of a transgender child, and it's sort of like some listeners may think, well, what's really happened here is your your transgender son has been deceived. And this is a sign of the last days, and this is a phase, and he's confused because of friends at school or the media he's watched. And I just don't believe that. And I know you two don't, and your transgender son doesn't. So this is a statement um, from a mother of a transgender child. I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, Satan takes these precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His gospel to tear families, his goal, Satan's goal is to tear families apart and drive people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is succeeding. Um, not because this group is being deceived and are now gay or trans. He is succeeding because he's keeping us com from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. Mm, so you know, I listen to what you're doing as a family. To me, I mean, I believe Satan's real and he wants to destroy us, but he has not divided your family over this issue. No. And to me... I believe your heavenly parents exist, and I believe that they are so proud of you as parents right now for the way you're raising this precious spirit of theirs that's in your home. Um, and the safety and recognizing you want this child to thrive and be happy and healthy and 
And I think you're just doing, and it's really complex as LDS parents to do this because you just don't know how this kid fits in the plan. Um, So yeah, keep sharing more of your story. Well, thinking back on it now, (laughs) um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a great blessing. I mean, honestly, I feel at this point, like he was always a boy, you know, I mean, we believe in the family proclamation of the world, uh, to the world that gender is eternal. And, you know, his, his gender just wasn't aligned with, with his biology. And we know that, you know, that happens, you know, and, um, this is not an isolated incident, you know, and that, that was helpful actually was, um, you know, we've just read as much as we can up on the subject and listening to your podcast and, and reading your book and, and seeing the, the, the continuity of stories between these, these wonderful kids. I mean, Glenn has always been, you know, a faithful, great kid. And it's not that he's suddenly, you know, off the tracks, spiritually speaking, you know? Um, in fact, he's, he's more on track than I've ever seen him. Cool. When it comes to, you know, who he is, he's, you know, who he feels like he was always meant to be. And, and, you know, and Elaine and I putting together the pieces of the puzzle, looking back on his past, it's like, oh my gosh, he's, he's always been our boy. We just didn't know it until now. And so it's, it, it is a celebration. I really do feel like that. Um, and it's been incredibly hard, um, not because of anything in our hearts. Our hearts found it incredibly easy to accept him for who he is. It's, and this is the sad part to me. This is the part that hurts the most, was that we had to really kind of peel off the layers of the onion when it came to our religion, unfortunately. Um, that we cherish so deeply that that has has always been the, the 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 center of our family, you know, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and how we can focus in on that gospel for Glenn and make it work for him. That's our whole focus right now, is how to make the gospel work for him. Because um one part that we didn't share about yet in the story, which you which you already know, Rock Richard. Um, but for your listeners, is that um, at the same time that Glenn came out uh, as as trans to us, he and his twin sister also um, wrote a series of text messages um, that outlined why they um, will not be uh, members of our church anymore. And honestly, I mean, you talk about a knife to 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 your heart yeah. and and twisting it in your heart. That's how I felt because to me, that's worse. That was, it's not anymore. It was worse than death. That's how I saw it. And that was so terrifying to me to think that I could lose my child and yet I'm looking at him and not feel that my religion that I have dedicated everything to that means more than my own life. I would give my own life for my religion. Suddenly is not accepting my child who, who I feel like is just exactly who he needs to be. And, you know, um, reading um, up on the church, you know, because I had to do a lot of in, um, kind of research, you know, to try to convince Glenn and, and his sister 
you know, the church is good, you know, it's, it's not condemning you. Um, but they had already, you know, made their minds up. Um, every single thing that I said or wrote, I wrote letters, um, you know, to collect my thoughts and everything that I said fell short because they had already made their mind up. They had already done their research. They had already seen that, you know, the church is very vocal in, in opposing gay marriage. And, uh, you know, if you're transgender, you, you know, the policies are such that you cannot go to the temple and receive full access. Um, Can I say something? Yeah. And I just remember um, when the kids uh, became uh, young women, they just adored going to the temple. It was like, yeah. Sometimes they would ask, Dad, can you yeah. take us to the temple? We Let's went, go and do baptisms. We did baptisms all the time. All the time. And the saddest thing that when they came after sending all those texts saying, but Dad and Mom, you know, now I can't go to the temple because they're not going to allow me to be there. And to me, that just broke my heart. Yeah. And that Natalia, his, his you know, sister, was saying, I can't do it because in good conscience, how could I do it when, when my twin my twin brother can't do it? And And, you know, I was like, Oh, uh, hmm. <laughs> you, you know, you, you kind of got a point. Um, you know, it was like amazing that children had to chastise their parents in a way. I felt rebuked, <laughs> you know, like that, you know, they were standing on principle, you know, and, um, and I was standing on my own principle, but my own principle was like, you know, hey, there's hope for the future, you know. Um, look at blacks in the priesthood, you know, because they had already researched that. They're like, how could I be a part of a church that has a racist history? And I was like, well, but now we're not, you know, we've changed. Like that's evidence that even prophets can make mistakes. You know, there were doctrinal problems about the way that blacks were, were, were treated. And, and now the church has maybe not apologized, but the church has changed its position on that. So this could also happen with gays and transgender. And, and they were just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dad, like, you know, who, you know, who knows if that could ever happen, you know, um, in our lifetime, are we going to really, um, you know, base our lives off of this, you know, hope that one thing's, you know, thing. so we kind of, you know, we've given up, um, you know, on, on trying to, um, you know, get them back. Mm -hmm. We're just, we're, you know, we're right now just trying to make it as gospel centered a home as possible and, and really separate out the gospel from the layers of the church that, you know, we feel like are not in harmony with, um, with, you know, what is Jesus's prime core message of, you know, loving all and reaching out to those who are um, marginalized in society. I mean, I, I strongly believe that if, if Jesus Christ were here on the earth uh, today, the LGBT community would be like his, his crew. <laughs> you know, he would be all over, you know, uh, being so wonderful and embracing to them because they have been marginalized in our society for far too long. I'm just so touched by this segment. This is, you know, you're so honest with, the pain you felt when you recognized you had a couple of kids that were choosing not to be a part of something that so dear to you and you've given so much to and the pain of that. And, the, and I just think other parents feel the same pain. And I think we heal each other when we talk about it. <laughs> and I yeah. wish we could talk about this more in our faith communities. Cause I think there's a lot of people that feel similar pain when their children step away and they worry about what does this mean for our eternal family. But I think the parents that do the best just say, I'm going to focus on the things I can control. 
keep my family circle together, and see my kids now not if they're active in the church or not, but the contributions they're making to the world, to our family, and not just define our relationship by are they coming back to the church or not. Um, I think pure love is this non-agenda love where we just love people because they deserve to be loved, not because our love will bring them back. Um, and I think you're doing that, but it's just so complex. And we don't have very good support systems in the church to sort of grieve with. I mean, if you if your family story was a terrible illness or a terrible car accident, we would all kind of know how to wrap our arms around you. And we'd all kind of get that kind of pain. Maybe not if we hadn't actually walked that road, but this is just so complex and there's so many layers of it. Then it's your own faith that sort of goes through crisis because you're recognizing my kids, my transgender son doesn't have a place in our church. And then you start to see other marginalized groups and you feel the same way. Um, Talk about just, yeah, more parts of the story you want to share. Um, I, I just I was remembering uh, on our walks with him uh, in the beginning because we Nate and I truly wanted to stay. We want to stay in the church and we wanted them to continue participating with us. And uh, Nate and I tried to convince him, like, you know, you can be an ally. You can be uh, you can help those uh, the youth, you know, in your group. If there's anybody who might feel like you, that's something that you could do. And, but um, he just felt like, no, that, that's, that's too, too big of a job for me. Yeah. I just, and now I'm going through too many things and I just, I just can't. And, and I remember, I didn't know how to help him. I was just like, just repeating the things that I've repeated my whole life when I was teaching the discussions and my mission, just saying, you know, all you can do now is to pray and ask Heavenly Father, and if this is right for you or not, just ask him to, to help you to understand that, um, that Christ lives, that the church is true. I want, I want you to do that. But then after I said that, I was like, well, I mean, do I really feel like this is the right thing for him to do when, I mean, he would just, you know, shake his head. And I knew that he was like, there's no point, mom. I'm not, not going to pray. I, I already know what I, what I want to do. And, and I remember one time I was feeling so, so sad. And so, I don't know, like down and I prayed and I said, Heavenly Father, what can I do for my child? I really don't know. Please, please tell me. And just the feeling of comfort came to me and said, you, there's nothing you can do. Just the only thing that you can do now is just to listen to him. And to love him, just tell him how much you love him and how much you accept him for who he is. And, and that, that answer to me came so, so strong. I knew that God was telling me, just love him. That's all you can do. You don't need to do anything else. Just love him. Was that relieving? It was. It was very relieving because I knew, I mean, I was desperate trying to find a way that I could help him. but. That was the answer for me. Just, just love him. Listen to whatever he has to say. I love him and accept him. We're talking about difficult things. And, I, and, and that's what I believe has been a real blessing for our family um, throughout this whole experience. We've, we've had many blessings, but one of which was um, opening lines of communication 
we feel like our children now can tell us anything um, and that we will be okay with it. Um, before this groundbreaking, earth-shattering event in our family, you know, there were certain norms and, um, you know, there was right and there was wrong. And, you know, you had to choose the right. And if you weren't going to choose the right, you're, you know, we need to get you on track. And now I'm seeing my role as a parent and Elena, um, I think is on the same page as me as more of kind of um, just talking about things and getting them to trust us enough to tell us. And we feel that also in the church, that there's this kind of unwritten um, rule of not talking about everything because we're afraid of being judged and we're afraid, you know, that people are going to misinterpret what we say or not understand or, um, or condemn us. Right. And so um, just the fact that we can talk about difficult things as a family and then in our church, um, you know, I've, I've met and Lena too with our Bishop. Yeah, wonderful tell our listeners man. how that's been going, meeting with your local leaders and being honest with them about your story. We've, we've shared our story one-on-one with, with many people in our ward um, and our stake, uh, stake president, uh, stake um, president uh, counselor, and stake Relief Society president. And, um, and we have received nothing but support and respect and, um, and love. We've, we've been embraced in amazing ways. And I think that that's what, as, as a church, that's, what we, we, that's where I think this kind of crisis of faith that we are experiencing, um, and that I think lots of other people in the church are experiencing, can actually help make the church stronger um, mm-hmm. by recognizing that a lot of us don't fit in. A lot of us are square uh, pegs fitting into round holes, <laughs> and um, and and to make that that hole, you know, bigger so that we can fit into it. Um, and uh, and so I think that's a, a something that is really wonderful that's coming out of all this in our family, and then in our ward and and state. Hopefully, these kinds of experiences that we are sharing can can trickle trickle out and trickle up, <laughs> especially. Um, to to our, our our higher up leaders to 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 realize that there's you know change is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's healthy in any organization to to um, listen to people's stories and and pray for revelation because until you ask for it, you're probably not going to get it. You know, I've thought obviously a lot about this, and I don't have any LGBTQ children, so I can kind of step away from the issue. And you're living with it. And many members are, and I think the way we treat parents with LGBTQ children. So you're just loving your transgender son. You're you're calling him by his right pronouns. And if you feel judgment from our faith community for the way you're loving your own kids, then I think that makes your road harder. I think we need to, and it sounds like your leaders doing God just put our arms around you and not feel like you're looking over your shoulder, being judged by your faith community, the way you're handling this in your home. But just feel this incredible love and saying, we just support you. You know, you, you're the parents of your kids. We're not. Um, we love you and we support you. And whatever you need to do to keep your family circled together, we'll support you. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, and I just think, you know, I wish sometimes, I'm not a leader of the church listeners, and this is a, a church-supported podcast, but, you know, if 
I wish sometimes we were just less sure. And I wish sometimes our leaders would say, dear church members, um, we've been called of God. Thank you for your sustaining vote. I sustain them and support them. Um, I recognize they have the priesthood keys and are called of God, but I wish sometimes they'd say, with LGBTQ, we just have more work to do here. Yeah. And let's be honest. We're not yeah. at the finish line. Now, we're not saying that means our doctrine will change or needs to change. We just are wrestling with this. And we recognize that LGBTQ members are not having the same experience as straight members in our church are. And our doctrine is all alike unto God, and everybody should feel the equal balm of Gilead. So, dear members, you know, we are working on this, and we recognize it's a need, and we don't, we're not at the finish line. And in the meantime, if you're LGBTQ or have LGBTQ people in your family, let's just wrap our arms around those members that we're asking to do really difficult things that we don't really understand completely yet. And let's err on the side of love and empathy. I look at DNC 121, uh, just came to my mind why we were, I don't, you know, I just look at what we're, and I see, I can find it real quick. DNC 121. Um, oh, sorry, listeners. I so is bad when I try to find scriptures. DNC 12141. I let's, you know, um, by long suffering, by gentleness, by meekness, by love unfamed. And just that's what we're taught to do as priesthood holders. So let's practice that for LGBTQ members and just love and gentleness and kindness and just recognize the difficult things we're asking them to do. And to me, that just builds hope. To me, that doesn't diminish the prophetic mission of our leaders to think like that or talk like that. It actually builds hope in them more trust in them as our leaders. Any thoughts on that from either of you? I um, I just wanted to say that um, <clears throat> it is so, um, so important that we speak up. Um, before Nate and I had this experience, it was like, you know, it, it just didn't affect us because we did not have anybody in our family close who were, uh, affected by being ostracized or by being bullied or having all these problems. I, we really didn't know anybody personally. And so we just felt like, okay, well, this is, this is how it is. Right. But now that we are living this personally with somebody who we love so much. So now is when we really, really feel this, that this is so important, that not only we as members can do so much to actually get those leaders in the church to listen and, and to do something about it. And uh, it reminds me, a friend of mine said, you know, it actually takes for you to have those experiences, to go through those trials, to really uh, be, um, to have that uh, empathy for others. And this is how we become like Christ, because awesome. Christ went through all of this, and that's how he can understand us. And that's why Heavenly Father gives us these trials, because he wants us to be like Christ. He wants us to experience these things so we can understand that we can love and that we can be uh, have more empathy for other people who are going through these trials. And this is the way I feel right now. I feel like this trial, which I don't feel as a trial, the only thing I worry about is my child to 
to grow and to go into society and be accepted. Those are the worries that I have right now. But I just love having him in my home. I accept him completely. What and, a lucky uh, son. I, I just want him to be happy. And, and then that's all I want. And we just have to continue to show how we love, uh, how we love them by speaking up and trying to reach out, reach out to those who, who are in, that, in power to make those changes. More thoughts from either of you. Yeah, I, I'd like to... Um reflect on this experience, um, a wonderful part of it um, that kind of dovetails with, with, with a, what Elena just said about um, learning to have more empathy. Um, I feel like Glenn has really changed my life in such a valuable way. Like, honestly, in some way, I feel like he was put on this earth to teach me a lesson and to help me grow spiritually. Because after my mission, I'll be honest with you, I kind of plateaued. Um, you know, you go to the gym and you, you know, you start doing the same reps and, you know, you, you, you stop really uh, growing muscularly and, you know, you kind of just, but you're going through the motions of going to the gym anyways. That's kind of how I felt for years and years, decades, in fact, after my mission, um, you know, because the church was working for me. It was a, you know, it was a well-oiled machine. It didn't really need much maintenance, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I was happy. Um, but I didn't grow at all spiritually. I, I was just, it was status quo. And then Glenn comes around and, I, and, and I, my, my son is born. And um, it, my heart has grown, you know, in the, in the Grinch who stole Christmas, you know, how his heart grew three sizes that day or whatever it was, you know, when he, when he finally realizes that Christmas came despite, you know, the toys being stolen. That's how I feel. I really feel like my heart grew and, and all that, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, homophobia is a, is a really horrible, horrible word. Um, and so I don't use it lightly, but when I got rid of my homophobia, um, which I'll, I'll admit I had, and I think it's important to admit, I think as a society, um, we're afraid to admit, you know, I'm not racist, you know, oh, no, no, not me. You know, I'm not homophobic. Of course not. Well, you know what? Actually, it's okay to admit. I have some racist thoughts sometimes. You know, I was raised in in a white society um, where you know I, I just didn't have much experience with with people of, of of other ethnicities. It's okay for me to admit that because if, if I admit that, then I can actually work to improve myself and not be racist. It's the same thing with homophobia. I'm admitting to myself and being on your show, admitting it publicly. You know, I had some homophobic, you know, even though I would never have expressed them outwardly, but, you know, God sees us in our hearts. And if I have, if I have a feeling like of judgment towards an, another person, I am the one condemning myself and I am the one separating myself from God by separating myself from that person and saying that, you know, he's not right. Um, you know, and so I feel like my heart has just really been set free from homophobia um, because of Glenn. And I'm just so grateful for that because I'm, I'm so much freer and so much happier. I, I don't worry as much about like, I don't know, I just I seem to, I, I, I just obsessed a lot about, you know, oh, like, you know, that's sinful, that's not sinful. That's, you know, now it's just like, man, we are just one big human family, you know, and we are all sinful. 
and we're all saints at the same time, you know? And to come to that realization that your sin is no worse than my sin, and, you know, that being who you are, if it's transgender or that's gay or that's black or white or red hair or, you know, black hair, you know, like we are all struggling on this earth to figure it out. And let's just all support each other and let's not judge each other. That's just where I'm at right now. I just feel so free finally. It's just wonderful. So I thank my son for that immensely because it wasn't me. You know, he, 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 he was the one that, that really prompted this all to happen. And I'm really grateful for it. I'm just really touched by that. I'm touched by this love story is the best word I can use to describe it. There's pain in this, but sometimes the very best love stories include involve pain and involve dissonance. And that's where in my life, some of the best growth has ever occurred is in very difficult moments. But I love this phrase you both use, set free or free. And I just think, you know, I, I drew two circles as you were talking, the circle of everybody in my life that's a lot like me and my ability to minister to them has never been very difficult if I'm motivated and kind of do. It doesn't require any stretching. But then there's this whole other group of the same human family that's very different than me. And that could be transgender people, gay people, people that have left the church, people have never joined the church, people of a different race, people that have a different immigration status. And that to me at this point in my life is when I see, you know, we're just coming out of Christmas time as recording this, and I see the life, all, everything we see about the birth of the Savior, to me, just action words come into my mind as I see him. And I say the way I honor him is to get to work um, in that other group of people to help lift their burdens um, and to look inward like you two have done and say, what do I need to do to look inward, to, to, to let go of race, to see for the first time racism or homophobia or transphobia or sexism so that I can fully understand another group of people and lift their burdens. And to me, that's honoring the birth of the Savior and our doctrine. And what you're doing is just beautiful. And, and I recognize that that gets, can get complicated in our faith, but I'm just hoping that as our faith grows, that people like you feel like, you know, there's place for you here, a feeling of belonging, a feeling you're helping us get to the finish line on a lot of these issues. Paradoxes where you hold kind of two things at the same time that are very difficult to hold. And I think we need to create space for members that believe in our fundamental restored doctrine and the beauty of the church and all the things that cause you to join the church. It's an incredible conversion story and recognize that this is an area we just have more work to do. And it's an area where it's causing pain um, for a lot of faithful Latter-day Saints um, because it just doesn't feel right to them. And just be aware of all that and not judge couples like you for openly sharing how you feel, but just in fact, embracing you even further for how complex your road is right now and your very best efforts to do this authentically. Everything you're doing right now is completely authentic and completely from coming from a place of love. There's no anger. There's no rebellion. There's no desire to pull people in a different direction. You're just doing the very best you can with great hearts and, and using the doctrine of our church and Christ-like principles. So I, I went off on a little bit. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, I'll thank turn you, it back Richard. To you. It's beautiful. Yeah, just um, 
echo what what you said. I mean, the gospel is of love, and if we can just focus in on that, and um, and encourage others to 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 see that the potential that we have in our families um, and and as individuals and wards and stakes to to elevate um, this conversation. Uh, to a place where all people can feel welcome uh, at, at the Lord's table um, is, is that the direction that uh, that I think the Lord would have us go. Any other final thoughts, Elena um, or Nate? No, I just wanted to say that um, that I feel grateful that um, we have leaders in our ward who have been really, really supportive. And uh, we feel like uh, they have really supported our children too. I mean, when um, um, I'm in the young women's, um, uh, one of my colleagues in the young women, uh, so I take my children to the young women and uh, the girls, they're so sweet. Uh, they I learned that uh, Isabella is not Isabella anymore, that he goes by Glenn and the girls, are calling him Glenn. Awesome. So I just love seeing seeing that support, and uh, I am I feel really grateful, and and I want to encourage everybody in the church to be like so because it is so so important for these children who are already struggling so much uh, every day, and um, I just I just wanted to say that to to encourage them to do. Yeah, and, and to, to kind of highlight that, um, the importance of this, um, this is actually a life and death issue. And, and not to sound too alarmist here, but like we're, we're giving you a summary in um, almost with rose-colored glasses, let's be honest, okay? This has been the most tremendously painful process that you can imagine going through, okay? Um, spiritually, emotionally, as parents, learning to accept our child. I do not want to make it seem like this has been easy, okay? And then for the child, him or herself, okay, um, this is extremely painful for the child. Um, gender dysphoria, okay? We don't have time in this, in this segment <laughs> to go over the ins and outs of it. Google it on your free time. Um, if you're a listener wondering what gender dysphoria is, um, it's, it, it is very, very problematic what um, these children go through um, and youth um, and, and adults. Um, and so when I say it's a life and death matter, I'm not kidding around, actually. Um, there's the suicide rates among our transgender and, and, and homosexual um, brothers and sisters is, is markedly increased. Um, and then, with it, and that's just in general society, then you take it within our church, and it's astronomically high, okay? And then you take it another level, and if parents do not give unconditional respect and love, oh, man, the statistics are grim, really, really grim. Suicide rates are very real, and I think we as a church body and we as just members of the community of the world need to really, really take this matter seriously, or we are going to lose more of our children and more of our brothers and sisters 
to, to, to suicide um, because that is um, a serious risk. And so I just, I want to put that out there to all of, of your listeners, Richard, that um, this is not just us, you know, saying, um, you know, it's, it's nice to be respectful <laughs> and, and it's better to be loving. It's actually like it saves lives. And, um, and, it's, and it's of critical importance that we, we take this matter very seriously. And thanks for being frank like that. And um, a couple of our guests that have expertise in this area have talked about, I think it's the joiner model of suicidality. And two of the segments of that model, I think it's a three-part model, is this feeling of not belonging and a feeling that, that people are better off without me. Yeah. And so if you've got a transgender kid who's incorrectly come to, or maybe because of unsupported parents, don't feel a feeling of belonging in their family or actually believe that they've, their existence is messing up their eternal family, then they, it gets them into really dark places. And so that's yeah. why I'm really tenderhearted for what you've done with Glenn. Yeah. And, and, and just to put it into context, even with all that we have done, even with the unconditional acceptance, it is still tremendously yeah. hard for what he is going through. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like for another family who doesn't have access to the kind of health care that we have. That's another layer here yeah. that like, let's just, let's just put it out there. Um, the privilege that we have of having um, a incredibly good health care to where he has, a, you know, all of the, you know, psychological, um, and medical supports available to him um, to, to ease this incredibly dysphoric experience that he's going through um, has, has made it infinitely better as well. Um, and so not all people have access to that sort of um, health care. And so that's another important consideration. I think the church um, also uh, needs to be uh, aware of, yeah. you know, to what degree our are our leaders properly trained to um, refer uh, families in our wards to get the, the, the care? Because um, it's not just a spiritual um, sort of ecclesiastical guidance that these kids need. Um, they need serious uh, psychological and psychiatric medical attention because this is a, this is in you know, this is a serious diagnosis as, you know, as your, your child had cancer, you would not just say, Oh, I'll take my kid with cancer to the bishop. <laughs> you're, you're on, you know, you, you, you get every uh, available resource, um, you know, at the ready. I love that. And listeners, if there's a couple, I thinking of episode 366 with Patrick Mason, um, the chair of Mormon studies at Utah State University, he has a new book called The Restoration, God's Call to the 21st Century World. And his feeling is with the church going to the third century of the restoration will be taking the gospel to the margins and really um, recognizing that we're in a position now with the institutional church being mature and temples being mature and our missionary work being mature is this is the time to sort of identify sexual minorities, gender minorities, women, and, and, and it's being led in some ways by our younger members that are wired this way at birth for just equality. And I just, it gives me hope, but there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. I tweeted out the other day, um, this tweet, let's extend a wide range, wide margin of grace and kindness to our LGBTQ members. And I would add 
parents of LGBTQ kids, many of whom are active in the church today and following its teachings partly on the hope for ongoing restoration, um, Article of Faith 9, for better options for their future. So listeners, and this isn't Nate and Elena don't need to hear this, but I just think we need to create space for members that hope things change even potentially doctrine to change. And let's don't make them unfaithful because their hopes go down that road. Let's, let's admire their, um, their faithfulness to participate in the church. Even if, even at the same time, they have hope that something changes. And that to me, cause I don't want to, I like things that bring hope into people's lives. But if I just shut down your hope by saying, you know, God has revealed his will exactly on gender minorities and sexual minorities <laughs> yeah. and we're at the finish line and count. there's no more work to do here. That just sort of shuts down the conversation. It may, that's right. It's possible it's true. I don't think that's true because everything I'm seeing is that group is not having the same experience as straight members are. And you are seeing that firsthand in your family. So let's, let's, Listeners, let's do things that create hope in others. Even if people bravely open up and say, I hope something changes in our church down the road. Let's don't call them unfaithful for that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're kind of at the end. Any last thoughts? I don't have anything else I'm going to say. So, (laughs) No, I, I, I think that we have covered it. And I can't thank you enough, Richard, for the wonderful work that you do in getting this information out because it, it can save lives and it can save testimonies. That that hope that you're talking about, this, this gives me hope that you are listening to us and that maybe someone listening to your podcast will also, you know, uh, pay it forward to, to their kids or their ward members, you know, so this is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Nate and Elena, you two are awesome and represent the very best of our church. Um, Listeners, if you're not familiar with my book, it's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's at Desert Book. It's at Amazon. I did dedicate a, a chapter to transgender Latter-day Saints because sometimes their stories are behind um, gay and lesbian and other. And so I wanted to just talk specifically about that group of people in Chapter 8. So you could read that chapter. It's not a long chapter. I hope that more content is developed in this space. Stories are critical for help us to understand better tools to minister, support, and create a feeling of belonging. But thank you, our listeners. This is Richard Osler with Nate and Elena signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.